Hello and welcome to DeFi 2.71 podcast. This is Seraphim and today we've got Alan Niemerk from Yield. Hey. Hi. It's good to see you. Uh, how do you enjoy London? Yeah, uh, London's, been, London's been great. It's a great city. I think the last time we've seen each other was in Palm Beach, I think, right? That's right. It was a good time. Yeah, London, Palm <laughs> Beach, the life of the bear market, bear market life. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's been really bad. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having me, uh, Seraphim. Uh, this is uh, great to be here. Sure, absolutely. Uh, let's chat a little bit about like you. How did you get into crypto? What did you do actually before you got into crypto? You know, um, before I was in crypto, I was actually a, a patent attorney. Um, so uh, completely, you know, non-crypto field. Um, and, uh, you know, my job was to, you know, help inventors um, protect their ideas from copying. Um, you know, and it, the cool part about the job was that um, you got to work with all these entrepreneurs who had a vision of how you could make the world better, you know, through technology. Um, and I was, I was always drawn to that. I always thought that was cool. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I think that that sort of was that enjoyment of that is what led me to, to, you know, and, and excitement about that is what led me ultimately to yield. But of course it was a long winding path to get there. Um, uh, you know, I, my journey in crypto, um, I think really actually started, you know, before I was even a lawyer in a sense, um, um, before crypto existed, um, you know, I, I, I was a, I graduated from law school in 2009 and, you know, that was in the middle of this global financial crisis uh, and recession that had occurred. And it was really, I think, um, formative for me, uh, to just see the power that the financial system, you know, uh, had over all kinds of people's lives and, and my life and, and my friends' lives. I mean, we, you know, we were going to law school. We, you know, we thought we were going to, you know, graduate in this incredible market, you know, for lawyers and, and, um, you know, there would be all these jobs and stuff. And then just this financial crisis occurs and, you know, everything changes like overnight. Um, and, you know, people didn't get the jobs they expected. They were, you know, underemployed. It was kind of a rough couple of years. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was just, you know, I think it made me much more cognizant of finance in our lives. And so then when I heard about uh, Bitcoin, um, you know, pre-Ethereum, pre-DeFi, pre um, you know, back in 2011, actually, so ancient times, <laughs> um, I, you know, I would just like was obsessed with it. I thought this is incredible, like the, the power of, of these blockchain technologies and things to, um, uh, you, you know, that they, they this promise that they had to be able to improve uh, our financial lives just just really spoke to me. And so, um, you know, even though I was a, a patent attorney, I was like, well, you know, I, I want to get involved in that that ecosystem. Um, and so, um, you know, I really sort of just started like slowly moving in that direction. Makes sense. And, and, and what actually got me into the ecosystem was um, I, I, you know, I, I wanted like, I knew I wanted to build something. I felt like, you know, building was the interesting thing about it um, to me. So um, there was a, a new cryptocurrency coming out. It was called, uh, this is in 2016. So, so years after I like bought a little Bitcoin and, and, and uh, um, you know, kind of like fell down the rabbit hole. Um, there was a new cryptocurrency that was coming out. It was called Zcash, and they had a new kind of proof of work that they were doing, which was really interesting to me. And so I built a cryptocurrency miner, so a way to mine that cryptocurrency that was kind of fast, you know, at least at least compared to like what had been publicly um, suggested would be possible. Um, and so I took what I developed that software. I went to go work for. Um, a very large cryptocurrency trading firm in Chicago and, and built a cryptocurrency mining operation. So that was sort of how I jumped into that world, which is completely different than, than the legal world I was in before. So it was sort of, it was a big change for me, but it was also surprising to a lot of people. Like, I didn't know you could do this. And, you know, you're jumping from uh, <laughs> law into trading and cryptocurrency mining. What, what is this? It's nuts. But um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was, in retrospect, just an incredible move. Uh, it's kind of interesting how you started with a global financial crisis. Like it affected like my family as well. Like we almost lost the house, everything. So it's like I guess like for that crisis, that's where the vision for Bitcoin came from, right? So 
right, making right. through pain. It's not for good times that people came up with cryptocurrency, right? So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Uh, you, you know, I think, I think Satoshi. Well, we we don't know who Satoshi is, but I think I think he or they or whatever was have been working on this problem a long time. But the the confluence of it coming out at that same time that this this global financial crisis happened, I think you know everybody was primed to really like see the value in it. Um, even though it did take a t- take quite a while for it to take off, I mean, quite a while, a few years, but yeah. um, uh, you know, um, and I think we're now, you know, seeing a lot of that. Uh, we're in the early stages still, but I think we're seeing some of the fruit of that beginning to to bear. Yeah, right. Um, let's talk a little bit about yield. So, what's the story of yield? How did you come up with the idea? What led you to it? Yeah. So, yield. Um, at least my part of the story started. I would say, like in 2019. Um, I had been, um, I had started using a protocol called MakerDAO, which I think most people who know anything about DeFi are very familiar with. Um, and you know, it it was like really the first borrowing and lending platform in the space. Um, and I had used it to, uh, you know, I'd borrowed, I put some collateral in, I'd minted some DAI and I borrowed it. I don't recall what I did with it. Um, but at some point in early 2019, um, interest rates on DAI, you know, in their protocol went from like 2% to 20% in the span of like a month. Um, and it was sort of shocking to me. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, you know, like it's, you know, I, I was paying this, now I'm paying this other thing and this is really expensive, you know, and I, you know, the only sensible thing to do was to close the loan. Um, and I was like, you know, for the future of finance, this is <laughs> this doesn't feel great. We really need some sort of way to like borrow at, at a fixed rate. And you know, I wasn't alone. I think in in thinking that. Um, I had a friend who actually worked at or you know was working with MakerDAO, and he's like, oh, you know, we really need you know fixed rates in this ecosystem. You know, but um, every the way everybody was thinking about it was like, oh, we need interest rate swaps. We need interest rate swaps. And I was like, personally. I, you know, I don't really know how to use an interest rate swap or, you know, like to think about that. I just wanted a fixed rate loan. Um, and so, you know, there wasn't a way to do it. And so I set out like, well, okay, well, you know, maybe there's a way I could do this. And, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I love uh, the building of software and I think it's fascinating. So I sat down, I wouldn't say I'm good at it, but I sat down, I, you know, started learning Solidity, the, the programming language of Ethereum. Um, and I just started building um, and and trying out different things. Um, and around, uh, I would say like September, um, a partner at a, a research firm called, uh, or it's not research firm, a, a, a venture capital firm um, called Paradigm, uh, Dan Robinson released the, the first version of the Yield Protocol white paper. So, you know, where he laid out the vision of, of what we, we are doing today. And, you know, it was very close to what I was already kind of how I was already thinking about it. And I just was like, this is, this is, you know, but it had some insights that I didn't have. And I was like, this is, this is right. This is what we should do. And I think I pretty much just like, you know, jumped on like a telegram AMA with him and took it over and just like asked him a million questions. Um, and, you know, kept talking with him. And, and like that weekend I, you know, built like a prototype of, of what yield protocol could be. And um, he was, you know, um, very supportive of it. He really liked it. Um, and, you know, we just started working together, kind of um, contemplating, you know, how, how you could build this thing. Um, and, and, and that led to the original, um, uh, you know, paradigm getting involved and, uh, you know, incubating Yield Protocol, um, uh, you know, and then, and then a seed round. It's kind of funny how you both you and Dan Robinson come from extremely different backgrounds. Like it's, like, he's also an attorney. Yeah, right. Exactly. You both come from law, right? Yeah. So, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Did that help court, like work together a bit, or it was relevant completely? I think right? it does help a little bit. I mean, there's there are some ways that lawyers think that, um, especially lawyers who are also programmers think <laughs> mm. that um, that maybe made us, you know, uh, has made it easier for us to work together. But uh, you know, I mean, I think also he's just an incredible human being and just probably one of the smartest people I know. So, and that, that, now that I think of it, like smart contracts are kind of like programming and a bit of law, right? So I suppose I see yeah. it, it's more connected than we think now. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit more about like yield mechanics? What does yield exactly do? Uh, 
what are the mechanics underneath? You know? Yeah. So so yield is 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 a decentralized uh, protocol for fixed rate uh, borrowing and lending, and um, specifically collateralized uh, fixed rate borrowing and lending um, with with fixed terms. And what do I mean by that? Um, you can come to yield. Uh, and then you can deposit uh, an asset, you know, and, and it's on Ethereum and, and the Arbitrum um, uh, chains. And, and you can come to, to yield, you can deposit something like, you know, Ethereum. Um, and then you can borrow a, you know, another asset like USDC, you know, dollar, stablecoin or DAI. Um, and you, you do, your loan is essentially for a, a fixed term. So it would mature on a future date, like, you know. Um, we have maturities, they tend to be quarterly. So it'd be like, uh, you know, September or December. Um, and, uh, but when you, when you, uh, you know, get that fixed rate, you, you know, you're locking it in until that maturity date. Um, and you know, then after that date, you can come pay back the loan, um, and, you know, or roll it to maybe another maturity date. Um, um, but but it you know for that that period of time where you have you know that until that maturity date you have a, a fixed rate you know what your costs are going to be for that loan. Yeah. So I mean, do you want me to explain how it works? Yeah, yeah exactly. I was okay, about to talk. great, great. Right, yeah, <laughs> kind of see you thinking that. Um, <clears throat> so the way it works is you know you put your collateral into into the yield protocol and you mint a new class of tokens uh, that we call phi tokens. Um, for fixed yield tokens. And FI tokens are kind of like normal tokens, except they have one additional property. Um, if you have a FI token, it has that that maturity date, it has a future date on which it, it becomes redeemable for the underlying asset. So if I have, you know, one FI token for, you know, December of 2022, you know, come December, I can redeem that token um, for, you know, one USDC or whatever. Um, and so that special property uh, allows you to create a, a fixed rate loan. So, you know, I put in my, my ETH, I mint these tokens, and then I can sell them um, at a discount. Um, but that, and that discount implies a fixed rate of, of, of borrowing. Um, so it's a, it's a very simple mechanism. I mean, I think there's, there's some subtlety to it. Uh, um, but these, these FI tokens are essentially like a zero coupon bond, um, you know, for people who are, who are familiar with that from traditional finance. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, that's the, the, the primary way you, you borrow, you deposit collateral, you mint these tokens, and then you sell them. Um, we actually built a whole marketplace for, uh, trading these, these FI tokens. Um, I think that it's really cool. I mean, I think it's, you know, there's, there's, you know, you know, maybe a handful of original, um, automated market makers in the ecosystem, you know, like Uniswap. And um, our yield space market is is one of them, and I think it's especially cool because it was the first to take into account time in in, in pricing the asset that's it's being bought or sold. So, so, have you built like your own AMM basically to trade these tokens? And if so, how does it kind of work? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, so you know, you, the AMM lets you trade the the Phi token against the underlying asset. So, if you have a a Phi token uh, for USDC. That that matures in December, right? Like I've like, uh, then you can put that into the uh, liquidity providers. Would put that asset into the into the AMM along with the underlying assets, say USDC, and um, users could then trade against that market to uh, you know either lend or or to borrow. And like the MM itself, is it like Univ three? Is it like Univ two? Kind of? Well, it's it's that's the cool thing is it's 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 entirely new. Like I think there's there's nothing quite like it. I mean, we went back to, um, and and, and so the the work that I did on this was with uh, Dan Robinson and uh, Lev Livnev, one of the early uh, uh, creators of Maker, and you know the the way that it works is or, or the way that we built it was you just kind of went back to first principles like literally like how do you price a, a zero coupon bond and can you take that pricing mechanism and then create an equation out of it that lets you sensibly build um a a you know an, an automated market and it turns out that you can actually there's there's no reason i think to think you know uh beforehand to expect that that that's possible but it turns out it is possible and there's lots of assets where that's hard to do um, but it just so happens for for this particular asset, 
um, you can do that. And it actually creates a market that that is uh, fairly capital efficient um, and becomes more efficient as you as you approach maturity, which is which is the sensible thing to do. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a really, really cool uh, piece of technology. Um, and it's actually been adopted, I think, by, you know, uh, several of the different fixed rate protocols also in the space. Like, um, I mean, we were the first to use it, but uh, Elements used it, Sense used it. There, there's others that are, that are mm -hmm. planning to use it. Um, so, um, you know, really proud of that that design, that technique. And um, I think it's going to be a fundamental part of, of, of you know, helping to, to, to bring fixed rates into to DeFi. Uh, speaking of that, like, um, why do you think uh, fixed rates in DeFi haven't yet taken off? Because I think it's, I mean, I, I come from traditional finance background. So obviously, fixed rates are probably the biggest market, mm -hmm. swaps and cash bonds and everything. They're crucial for hedging, for everything. How come it's not a thing yet in DeFi? Like, what's, what's, the, what's blocking it, you think? Well, I, I, you know, I mean, I think you're right. First of all, like I think you've exactly identified that that there is this sort of mystery here, right? Because if you look at traditional finance, um, I mean, the the bond market, right? It's something on you know the global bond market is on something like a hundred trillion dollars, just enormous, you know. And you can compare that to the size of maybe the global equities market, which I believe is maybe fifty trillion dollars. I mean, these all might have come down recently, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, for for orders of magnitude, perhaps. Um, so, so maybe it's twice as big as as the the bond market is twice as big as the equities market, um, and then you go to DeFi and you you you, you know the comparable asset classes, um, you know the comparable equities asset class might be uh, you know the tokens like Bitcoin and Ethereum, but and also like maybe DeFi governance tokens and things like that, you know, and and that might I, I think that was that peaked to like maybe three trillion dollars and you know it's down to like one trillion dollars. Um, whereas if you look at DeFi and, and or bonds um, in the ecosystem, it's you know if it's a uh, uh, hundred million or a few hundred million, that's that's maybe a lot, you know. So so it feels like there's this big hole, you know, like there's this missing asset class. Um, and 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 why is that? Um, well, you know, maybe there's several reasons. Like uh, um, uh, you know, first of all, just uh, uh, you know the structure of the industry, right? Like, I, I think that, like, uh, or or where the 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 players in the industry. Maybe that's a better way to describe it. Because, um, you know, I think that a lot of borrowers in the ecosystem haven't really been interest rate sensitive, right? Like the you know at least in this previous bull cycle, like people have been willing to borrow, you know, at whatever rate. Like they don't care because you know where they're going to tend to use the capital would be in some yield farm where you know you're you, you're trying to earn you know 50 100 percent a year or or higher so they're just that, that level of interest rate uh and sensitivity you know meant that that fluctuation in interest rates really didn't matter um so so i think that that that's part of it i also think that you know uh you know a certain lack of maturity that goes along with that in the industry you know, meant like, that like literally maturity, <laughs> literally maturity. Like, like it's a funny pun. Like <laughs> um, they, <laughs> yeah, like you know, people really don't. I I don't think they have an appreciation for, um, you know, or or maybe didn't have a need uh, for you know being cost conscious about about um, interest rates or being sensitive to the volatility of interest rates. I think that's going to change. I mean, I think that that is changing. Um, and I think as the DeFi ecosystem matures, um, you will see, uh, you know, more and more uh, demand for for you know fixed uh, income products and or fixed in, uh, interest rate borrowing um, in lots of different places, and that will allow the the uh, you know protocols like ours and others to like, or I think it will really start to to supercharge them. So so we're really optimistic about about where it's going to go. Um, and I think that, like, you know, like, like many things in the ecosystem, it's like just it's more a matter of time than than like, you know, um, if it's not this year, then maybe it's next year or in a couple mm -hmm. years. But I don't think it's a matter of uh, if, like, I think it's going to happen. So, do you, so 
to sum up, do you think it, the reason why people don't care as much is because when they get liquidated, that's because of pricing, not because of interest rates? Right. What? It's because their collateral went down, not because they, right. they've accumulated too much interest. Right. So, so, so the assumption is then that volatility will somewhat decrease, right? So that price, interest rate impact is going to be more substantial. Or, or like, because um, we had the CEO of Vaults the other mm-hmm. time, and he... He made an interesting point that there's not as much DeFi versus CeFi integration yet. And CeFi will eventually definitely need to, to kind of hedge their stuff. So maybe the hedging activity is going to drive this kind of um, stuff. Or, or, or I'm just speculating basically. Right. Like, like, what do you think? Is- I think use use cases will drive um, will drive adoption. That is, um, you know, there will there there will be users. I think who will need this. Um, I think one, you know, maybe maybe the uh, nearest or maybe near future user, I think, of fixed rate in the ecosystem will be DAOs. Mm-hmm. That is, I think DAOs are going to start borrowing, you know, to meet cash flow needs and, you know, maybe to pay salaries or whatever. And they will be, uh, I think, you know, they'll, they'll want to control that interest rate cost. I think that they'll, they won't, you know, for budgeting reasons, if nothing else, you know, they won't be as excited about being like, okay, well, we'll, we'll have a loan where, you know, the interest rates can, can be whatever, or can be quite expensive. Um, I think they'll just want to kind of know, here's what, here's what we're paying for interest and here's how we manage um, our budget over time. So I think that that's, that may be one early use case. Um, but I also think, you know, uh, um, I think as, you know, the, the next generation or maybe the next bull market of crypto um, arrives, I, you know, I think that like we probably won't see as maybe maybe I'm wrong, but maybe we won't see the crazy level of of returns that you can you could get, um, even you know, uh, um, in that next cycle, it'll be maybe more reasonable. Well, one could hope, <laughs> and and that would maybe make people more sensitive to how, um, you know, taking advantage of opportunities and and being involved in things, um, is enhanced by by being conscious about about the cost of capital. Yeah, that's an interesting point, basically. So, yeah, as we mature and we stop skyrocketing by a billion percent every cycle, people will just be more sensitive to interest rate fluctuations. That's going to be the leading reason for liquidation, maybe, potentially, or at least the ratio is going to change a bit, and that will drive the kind of interest in, in, interest in fixed rates. Uh, I think that's very possible. But, you know, um, I think the, you know, ultimately, I think the analogy with, with traditional finance and the utility of fixed rate and fixed income products in, in traditional finance, I think just shows the path that will go like, you know, eventually um, there become, you know, use cases and needs where, where this is important. And the goal is to be prepared to just accommodate them. Uh, One other point though, is like in traditional finance, you have bond markets for real work for, for real world use cases like people have you have a mortgage portfolio right and you mm-hmm. want to hedge it mm-hmm. or you've got some sort of um more government issues bonds for real life activity uh, um it seems like in track as much as we don't like to admit a lot of the finance underpins actual real life kind of economic usage mm-hmm. TFI doesn't seem to have that yet like do you think that's related to rates? Like once we have like metaverse mortgages, you know, maybe that's going to drive a bit more usage or. Yeah. I mean, I think that, well, I mean, so first of all, I think some of that traditional financial activity will come into DeFi. I think it's a, it's a matter of time, you know, where and when, and what will be first, first use cases. I'm not sure, but I think there'll be, we'll find that there are, you know, um, traditional external uses that, that will, work their way in and, and it will be useful. Maybe it's like corporations buying on or borrowing on the blockchain or something. Um, so I think that'll happen. But I, I do think that there's actually going to be what will be what I think is surprising is the level of, you know, you know, new activities, like you've said, like metaverse mortgages that will kind of come out of nowhere that I think are also going to be be um incredibly important. Um and, you know, will um will unlock new ways for people to to create value that that we just don't expect mm. you know um i mean i think when you think of like asset classes right you know we're we're and we're, we're talking about like mortgages right um you know one of the largest asset classes in the world um and this goes back to my background is is intellectual property for example mm. right like owning ideas effectively um 
And, you know, it's an enormous asset class. You know, now it's not an asset class that, you know, maybe you're putting into your 401k. So most people don't think about it all the time. So it's mostly owned by corporations. But it's it's really, really large. And um, it's really, really valuable. I mean, corporations spend a lot of money on patent attorneys and protecting their intellectual property and, you know, trademarks and copyrights and so on. Um, and I think that, you know, we're already seeing asset classes, native DeFi, you know, our crypto and Web3 asset classes like NFTs, for example, that that are have the potential to be very, very large and very, very um, important to people. And, you know, I think it's kind of shocking to me how much like NFTs have become part of people's identity who maybe them, don't even think of themselves as necessarily like crypto people. Um, but, you know, really, I think, appreciate, you know, the culture of whatever uh, um, project that, that that they're part of. So I, I remember that indeed element are different from you because they have a yield stripping element. To them, mm -hmm. right? So Notion is the closest probably in terms right. of like how you guys work. Right. So I assume you have you're more like a lending protocol in and of itself where you can leverage up on your positions. Right. Um, right. I think that that's an important place to start for the ecosystem because I feel that like you know, going to derivatives first or building things for traders first, um, you know, I think it it misses the boat. Like, you you know, if you're hedging something, you have to have real economic activity to hedge, right? And so I guess our goal is to create that real econo economic activity by creating and encouraging uh, fixed rate borrowing. Um, and so, you know, I mean, we've tried to create this like very versatile platform so you can build on top of it and, you know, you can build, you know, interesting things with it, um, you know, through some combination of, you know, new types of collateral effectively in the system or new assets you can borrow and lend. So what kind of collaterals do you have on the yields? So right now we have, uh, on mainnet, we have like, you know, basic things like ETH and some governance tokens. I think we were the first to add uh, ENS, for example. Mm. Um, uh, we have things like... Uh, you know, yield bearing assets. So, you know, we can, you can, um, we currently only have like, I think one from Yearn, but we can in theory add them all. Mm. Um, we have, you know, other yield bearing assets like, you know, I mean, a lot of in the previous cycle, a lot of the ways that uh, people um, uh, would, uh, you know, yield farm was also often based around curve and convex. Um, so, you know, you can use convex like positions. Um, in yield, um, and then you know, borrow at a fixed rate to to lever up in those. Um, and then we actually, you know, like are are very interested in creating an economic efficiency. Um, uh, so you know, uh, we want to be able people to be able to arb with us. So we actually, you know, you can actually arb Notional against us by using Notional's F cash as collateral. Um, and then we're really excited. Uh, one of the things we're going to add very soon is uh, Euler e-tokens. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that, like, our goal is to be able to add, uh, you know, anything I think that, that like, you know, has has real organic uh, demand to be used as collateral, where fixed rates, I think, would would improve, uh, you know, that, that, uh, um, that borrowing use case. In terms of the actual interest rates, like mm -hmm. let's say you have three month maturities, right? That's right, like three months and six months. Three months and six months. Uh, I don't know if, if like, can you compare them to the other protocols? Like, what's the like? What are the interest rates across the board? Just because I haven't been able to. Yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of uh, fixed rate protocols, I think we're you know there's uh, you know because there's an R between uh, us and Notional that's that's been closed. I think we're close to them. I don't know where the interest rates actually are today. Like I haven't I haven't checked, but you know, it 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 generally seems to 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 be kind of like TradFi in the sense that you know longer dated maturities tend to have slightly higher interest rates. You know, there's an upward sloping yield curve. That's what I would expect. Um, and and our goal is to like continue to sort of extend out um, the the maturities, um, and you know you know extend or uh, extend that yield curve so to speak. Um, you know, as as there's more and more demand for those long maturities starts to arrive. That's quite cool. So it's being it's being effectively arbitraged away the difference between notional and um, yield. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, when we added when we added that, I think like um, you know, it, we were surprised how fast it was closed. <laughs> uh, yeah, because in the oil, it, it took some time. Like we had like some weirdy really wacky rates. I mean, we had um, 
like if I was doing the bull market, we incentivize borrowing. So liquidity mining drove lending APYs higher. Not because you actually get boiler from lending, but it just drove it. So we always had like a premium APY, but after the bear market kicked in, mm-hmm. it just stopped caring that much and it just all normalized completely. But I guess the difference is with variable rates, you can't you don't really hedge much, right? Mm-hmm. I think. Like you hedge, but at the end of the day, like I think with fixed rates, you you arbitrage them and you know you get you lock it in basically. I think with variable, you probably don't. Maybe like yeah, I don't know how that would be done. Um, I think what I well, I'm actually really excited about. Yeah. I'm really excited about all the ways you know yield protocol and and Euler can work together and mm-hmm. like cool things we can build on top of each other. Um, so we're adding uh, Euler e tokens as collateral, which mm-hmm. would essentially allow you to, um, you know, make a bet that that the you know the floating rate of return on these e-tokens would be higher than the fixed cost of borrowing over like a period of three months or six months. Right. So I think that'd be really cool. And you could do that maybe with with some significant leverage perhaps. Um so it's almost sort of like an interest rate swap. Yeah. Um and you could in theory go the other direction, right? Like we could let you borrow uh Euler E tokens and then um you know effectively go short fixed rates. Maybe kind of like a a, a f- uh interest rate future mm. um, on Euler uh, uh, interest rates, so uh, which would be really cool. So let's say you lend USDC, you borrow EUSDC, you sell, uh, well, you can't sell, you like put it back into Euler or what? Like how does it, how, how can you, how do you leverage up in that position? Yeah, I mean, so you would, you would, um, let's see, you'd probably be depositing a bond, maybe one of our bonds. So mm. let's say, you, you know, you've, you've purchased, you know, one of our FI USDC. A, a bond representing the future payment of USDC. You could then put that into our system and then borrow maybe e tokens against ah, it, right? Nice. Um, and then you just—I think you would just unwrap the e tokens. You you take out the USDC, maybe to pay off um, the initial loan you used to deposit to buy the the Fi token. So in theory, you could you could do something like flash loans to do this with some significant leverage. Uh, right. So you're long the fixed rate and you're shorting the the variable rate token. That's right. right. That's right. 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 So, so in that case, yeah, you know, and 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 that might be a really good trade, uh, even the day, because, um, you know, if if uh, the fixed rates are higher than the floating rates, um, you know, you could maybe make uh, a pretty good return. Of course, you're taking some real risk because if you have this, you know, um, a spike in interest rates, say because of liquidity issues, you, you know, you could you could very easily blow up. Yeah. So you're shorting like liquidity risks or some sorts. Oh, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. I'd, I'd love to do that. I would love to build that. Um, and uh, maybe we'll get there soon. Yeah. Or doing the opposite where you bet on the squeeze and liquidity. It's kind of like trading the like cross-currency basis in mm-hmm. TradFire where you bet on like liquidity sque- squeezes. So this is pretty similar. It's quite cool. Yeah. And I think the one thing that we've tried to do with with Yield is to, since we have this like relatively open, you know, um, relatively easy to evolve system, I think we can build things like that with, um, you know, without a huge amount of investment of effort at this mm. point. Like, um, and you know, we're just trying to like find okay, which one of these things is you know is that are people looking for and would really benefit from. I think one thing that people would find interesting would be wrapped stake teeth or stake teeth stuff because I feel like there's actual institutional appetite there. Mm-hmm. That's pretty big. It's it, it's kind of like owning a bit of a network or like getting the fees from the network, which is real. And underpins everything. So I think from what I've seen, there's lots of institutional interest in this. Yeah. So maybe if you could hedge your interest rates on Stake Eve or Wrap Stake Eve, um, which Euler has, you could kind of, yeah, that would be quite interesting. You know, that's a great point. We actually do have uh, Wrap Stake Eve. So, oh, so we yeah. so we added it not too long ago. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we've had some initial usage. Um, I think you know the. Uh, the liquidity for for staked ETH has been not so great lately. So that that trade has um, people have become more cognizant of the fact that like wrap stake or staked ETH is not identical to Ethereum, mm. which for a while people were treating them as effectively you know um, uh, the same. Um, but since you can't unwrap staked ETH, you know there really is sort of it's more like a future um, than. Uh, uh, you know, it being the same, and um, you know, there's a discount now that that people are pricing into it. But yeah. I, I still think that there's there's certainly I've certainly thought about it. Like you know, at a certain price, it's like you know, buying wrap staked ETH is 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 great if you want to be exposed to ETH long term. 
uh, and you don't mind waiting until until the unlock. Yeah, I don't see why people thought it was one to one. I mean, it's like a perpetual bond in a way. Like, yeah. Why should it be? And I think Lido guys communicated later on pretty well. Like it's not supposed to be, but it's just we, you know, we've incentivized one to one. But doesn't right. mean in the end it has to, which was right, which is pretty helpful because yeah, which is why it's trading a lot now. Which is why there's lots of activity in all the two because uh, now there's a two way flow, which is pretty neat. Uh, but I definitely think there's interest in hedging interest there, probably. So especially if you, yeah, if you want to be big holders or something like, or like shorters, or like a lot of guys actually are shorting. A bit. Like what you could do is probably stake the normal way and short sell Lido's wrap stake teeth. Mm -hmm. But you have this interest, uh, the rate that you can't really hedge. Maybe there's a way to hedge that, and then you mm -hmm. just earn some crazy optionality, like a smart contract hack of Lido or something, you know. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, really sort of based on, on, on you know, your uh, perspective on the future, I think there's lots of ways to, to trade um, Steeth. And, um, you know, we're definitely trying to, to uh, um, make those possible and, and, and we have added it and people yeah. are using it. Uh, one other thing I think was interesting that people tell me is that like one product that hasn't really taken off yet, but I think my, has to find a way is trading fees from AMMs. Mm -hmm. Like if you could, I mean, Gelato tokens obviously help with fungibility and everything. And I guess they're becoming the underlying basis for like trading fees on DAI USDC, like uh, DAI USDT. Maybe there were to, a way to kind of hedge your trading fees of some sort. Like it's kind of funny because like, I don't know if you know the, the guy Guillaume Lambert who's trying to come up with like options markets on top of Unity 3 mm -hmm. and he said he said basically the fees kind of are equivalent to to volatility to, to shorting vol mm -hmm. so if you're long LP you're basically shorting vol if you're like borrowing LP positions you're kind of long vol but there's no way to hedge your kind of your, your trading fees i.e. like your like the cost of having that option so maybe there's idea there's an idea maybe there to kind of hedge your trading fees somehow uh, using yield protocol in the future just to, just like i'm just crazy ideas yeah i it? think that's interesting you know um uh, we actually i think thought about this problem a lot back in um when when we were first um you know planning to start yield and almost considered like entirely pivoting to deal um with issues yeah. like this and you know honestly the the thing that I think the thing is, is honestly, most users, most LP providers are relatively passive, right? Mm. That is, they're they're putting, um, you know, assets uh, that they already have, you know, and LPing it, um, and aren't necessarily watching it that closely. Like there are some professionals, there are some people who are who are who are, you know, actively managing it. But I think for most, in the most uh, most cases, that's not happening. Um, so, you know, you know, trying to uh, Build those products. I, I think there'll be a time for it, and I hope that time is soon. But I, I, I don't know if it's if the market's ready for it yet. If so, I think I definitely think there are ways that that yield could um, could contribute, and would, it would be really cool. And we've definitely looked at like, can we add Uniswap V3 positions as as collateral? Um, we know we can do it. Um, uh, it takes a little, maybe it takes a little bit of work. Um, and really, the question was, you know, like it's already pretty pretty much a leverage product like you know you already can get more leverage you know does that you know is that marginal extra ability to get leverage you know worth it enough to to users to make it worthwhile to to, to build yeah i kind of agree it needs a bit more time this whole concept and also scalability of providing you know providing liquidity in amms needs to be kind of solved because it's not exactly not it's not like most people make money in this you know there needs to be some sort of um, improvement there so i agree Actually, speaking of just interest rates uh, in TradFi, because we touched on that, touched on that. Why do you think interest rates in TradFi and DeFi don't quite converge? Like they're not being armed a bit. Like I feel like there's discrepancies if you look at the yield curve and stuff. It's pretty fascinating, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like I mean, I think that one of the interesting things is during the bull, you know, interest rates in in DeFi were essentially a lot higher than they were in in TradFi. Now that we're in this bear market kind of situation. You know, you look at interest rates on DeFi protocols, they're lower than maybe what you would see in, in traditional markets. It's it's kind of weird and shocking. I, I do think that they will be arbed over time. I mean, I think that they'll converge. Um, I think that, you know, uh, there's probably just a lack of infrastructure for doing that. That's made it harder to do. Um, I also think that, like, the users of, of DeFi are 
I don't say locked in, but like, you know, they're, they want to be in DeFi, you know, like, and they're not as concerned that, you know, interest rates are that low. Otherwise, if they, I mean, I think if they were, they would just, you know, what did you pull the money out and, you know, you would take it back to trad, uh, trad fee, which to be fair has been happening. Um, you know, you've seen, you know, the TVLs of all the major protocols go down and you've seen sort of capital leave the ecosystem a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, long-term, I do think that they will converge. And I think that, um, um, you know, I, I could even see a, a situation where actually DeFi is maybe a leader, you know, um, or maybe a first mover in terms of interest rates relative to the traditional markets. We're going to move the U.S. government youth curve. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but but maybe just in terms of like, you know, um, it may be, you know, it, 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 I think it's where a lot of very smart people are mm. and, you know, people who are um, maybe first movers. And so I think that that's... Um, that may mean that like maybe they'll be a little bit more uh, early acting relative to some traditional markets. I just can't wait for the day when a 10-year U.S. bond auction fails because of some DeFi stuff, you know, because people, oh, no, we got 12% in DeFi. We don't care. That would be quite something. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit about recent events. Like, mm -hmm. So everything's been blown Whoever's listening to this, Everything's been blowing up lately a bit. Like Celsius, 3AC, things are pretty much out of whack. Um, has that affected you in any way? Like, or, like, or if if not, like, what, what are you seeing? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think you know that's affected the entire ecosystem, right? Like, we've definitely noticed um, yield protocol, like in terms of total usage, kind of like peaked in May, um, and then has like gone down a little bit. Um, you know, uh, um, not a ton, but, but certainly noticeably. Um, and, you know, and I think that that it, along with the whole ecosystem, um, and, you know, so I think that things are evolving, but in terms of like, uh, it, you know, we haven't, you know, the protocol is healthy. It's fine. Um, everything's been, been running. We've been able to build in terms of the, the founding team that, that I run, um, we're in a really healthy state. Like, uh, so we, you know, um, raised a series A last year, you know, during the bull market and, you know, put the money in the bank and, you know, have just been, been busy building. Um, so, you know, I, I think that actually, and, 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 and my goal was like, you know, I want to be, uh, have us in a good situation so that when we enter a bear market, cause I was, there was always one coming, like I've been through a lot of bear markets, you know, in crypto, they just come, they go, they come, they go. And, you know, so you just have to be ready for it. And so, I was like, well, you know, I want us to be in a good position for that. We raised money, um, you know, and now it's just like, you know, we're in a good position. We're going to keep hiring. We're going to keep growing. And um, it's really, you know, really about, I think, you know, being prepared for, okay, what's the next, you know, um, levers or the next, you know, drivers of growth in this ecosystem? Because we want to be there to, to help um, make those great. And, um, you know, to, to improve users experience, um, you know, through, through fixed rate, uh, borrowing and lending. So, um, for us, you know, a bear market is, is just another, another set of opportunities to, to find new and interesting things to build for users. Like, what do you think about this whole like situation with, um, like CFI versus DeFi? Cause like, I haven't. I mean, I'm not, I haven't been tracking all the flows and everything, but it seemed from the conversation I was having with people who are pretty knowledgeable, it seems like whatever was going on in CFI mm -hmm. was not transparent at all. Like what we saw in DeFi, these public addresses, what they've been doing has been a tiny fraction of what's been happening. Like most of these like deals with 3AC were basically CFI lenders giving them some whatever E for UCC. Uh, apparently they owe, like, they, they owe people so much money. That has not, not been trickling into DeFi as much from what I've said, uh, from what I've seen. Like, what do you think that's the case? How, how come CeFi grew so big and DeFi has no clue? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's two really interesting things to, to me that we're learning um, from, from all of this. Um, the, you know, so I, so I actually worked at a, at a large market maker, um, Cumberland, which is a part of DRW. And, and so we were a part of the markets um, for, for borrowing and lending assets. Um, we were primarily a borrower because it was a trading desk. So, you know, you, you, you want to be able to trade some asset um, that you don't have. I mean, had a, they had a large core position and I was actually pretty involved with that. But, you know, um, you know, if there's an asset you want to trade, but you don't have, you have to go borrow it from somewhere. And so that was a very common thing that they would do. And, 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 you know, there have sprung up a bunch of businesses 
um, that were happy to do that. Um, and sometimes, you know, like in the case of like Celsius and, and some of these other protocols, they were, they were using depositors funds. So people who had put into their, their app or whatever assets they were then in turn lending out. Um, I would say that when I saw it, you know, before I left, like, you know, it was primarily collateralized. Um, and, and, you know, even, you know, there were only, only, you know, really, really big firms, like the big trading firms that could get away with like not providing collateral. You know, you had to have incredibly stellar credit. Um, and, and, you know, they were, uh, the lenders were, were very careful about looking into, um, you know, the creditworthiness of, of the borrowers. And, and so, you know, there's always a lot of concern about like, okay, you know, even for a big firm like Cumberland, you know, what, what's your creditworthiness and, and how are things working? Um, and, you know, I think what I was surprised with is that, is that that seems to have changed over, over the course of the bull market. As people became less concerned about, about you know, are the counterparties um, creditworthy and would they survive, a, a, you know, a bear market? Um, so that was, that was one big surprise. Um, another big surprise, I think, for me um, was that how much DeFi has done how it's done really well compared to to CFI, right? You have these firms, you know, that that are doing all these, you know, um, they're they're doing crypto related things, but they're they're essentially centralized entities, and they're blowing up, you know, and trading firms are blowing up. Meanwhile, there's been, well, I mean, you know, besides like hacks and stuff, like a lot of the major DeFi protocols have been uh, very very good, right? Like Compound's done great, Aave's done great, you know, you know, there hasn't been any problems with Uniswap. There hasn't been you know, uh, um, you know, in many, many others, you know, yield protocol has been, been great. Um, so, you know, we've, we've survived this market volatility, um, with, and, 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 you know, I think part of it is the transparency. Like you can look into these protocols and you can see like, here's the assets they have. Here's, here's what their balance sheets look like. Here's how they'll respond in an adverse situation. And, you know, here's the history. Um, and, that has just so outperformed these CFI, you know, uh, um, products and and institutions that I, I've been really amazed. And so I think that, um, uh, you know, it's been a real big win for DeFi. Um, unfortunately, from the outside world perspective, outside of crypto, like people can't tell the difference, right? They're like, Nexo is, uh, excuse me, Celsius is blowing up. Um, you know, uh, DeFi has failed or something. And it's like, well, you know, has it? You know, like, that's not a, I, don't, I wouldn't consider that truly a, a decentralized thing. There were, you know, it's a company basically. Um, so, uh, you know, um, I, I think that this has been, I think, really big uh, comparative win for DeFi. That is like, you know, the ability to sort of see how um, the protocol you're interacting with works, see the balance sheet, see the activity and, and you know, have comfort in how it will act in certain situations um, has, has been, you know, so much better than, than these, you know, um, hidden deals that, that you don't know about and these balance sheets you don't know much about and, and these, uh, uh other centralized things that, that, um, just have massively underperformed or blown up. I kind of would like to believe that it's because we, ha we have a transparent ecosystem as in like, you can see what's going on on chain. Part of me feels like there's just something structural about we have over collateralized lending mm -hmm. in DeFi, and they do uncollateralized lending. Right. Well, it's very risk averse. I mean, like you know, in DeFi, and in, in that sense, like it's, um, I think that like because it's such an adversarial environment, it's just so much more, uh, um, you know, careful about like okay, you know, are, are we taking the appropriate steps to to protect capital? Yeah, I was just wondering. I think eventually. Firms just don't like posting a lot of collateral. It's just the truth, you know. I don't think they will always want to do it. So, if you will have to get like like Maple Finance or something like this, you know, you probably need to have some sort of a zk because basically you don't want to review your positions either. That's why there's lack of transparency because you as a market maker or a trader you don't want to show everyone what your balance sheet is doing, right? But mm -hmm. you want them to conduct some credit checks. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll have some in the future something like firms on Aztec Network or some privacy roll up where independent checkers will be able to see sign off but just not or like gauge your positions without seeing it or so, and sign off on it and you can get that leverage if you want to and 
you know, I'm, I'm just speculating. Basically. I mean, I think yeah. that's a great speculation because I think that zero knowledge proofs are like the technology that you would want and, and will need, right? Like, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like these, these DeFi protocols are collateralized and market makers and others, they're, they're going to want, you know, they want credit facilities. They don't want, they don't want to have to post capital for everything. It just makes it very hard to make money to do that. Um, but I do think that like, you know, uh, um, we're, you know, we're building technologies that, that can make, you know, feeling assured about, about a firm's capital, um, much, much more possible because if, you know, if, if, even if you're a market maker and yeah, and you have all this capital doing all these things, if you can, for example, build a zero knowledge proof that like identifies all of that capital and then, you know, says, Hey, you know, here's our assets minus our liabilities. Um, and, 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 you know, here's, you know, or which is, I guess your equity, right? Here's, 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 here's what our balance sheet looks like, but you, you know, the, the person you give that zero knowledge proof to doesn't actually know all the details. They can just see the output of the calculation. Um, I think that that will be an incredible unlock uh, of of uh, you know um, of a new kind of way of doing credit, and um, I think one of the great things about about crypto is that it has incentivized building those tools, right? Like you know, zero knowledge proofs were basically this kind of curiosity, I think, in in um, computer science, but it was once you had this this environment of cryptocurrency and Web three, where you know, building these tools. Um, uh, were effectively incentivized by by the ecosystem. Um, you've just seen massive, massive progress, uh, and so I absolutely expect that 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 will happen. Um, that that will build those tools, and that it will have. I think it'll it'll help avoid a future repeat of these centralized financed institutions um, uh, having the problems that we've seen. Yeah, I think more importantly, bringing that kind of exactly bringing that privacy, while at the same time, kind of accountability from CFI into DeFi will allow these traders and all these flows to actually migrate into DeFi and then use these protocols like yields, like Notion or like Euler for, you know, in a much, in a much bigger way than now. Because as, as we've said, most of these flows are actually occurring somewhere out there, not in DeFi. We mm -hmm. have no clue about them. Bringing all these flows to begin with would be pretty good for, for DeFi. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming over, by the way, to, to London and just uh, having a chat with me. Uh, I'm sure we're going to catch up soon, probably at some conference or whatever, but I had, I had a great time chatting with you. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, would love to come again. Cool. All right. Thank you. Thank you.